what did the Joker say in uh, Dark Knight? He was like, and here we go. <laughs> here we go. Yo, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP. I am hype. I, I'm hype. I'm I'm super hype. <laughs> I'm super lit. <laughs> okay. Um, I uh, <laughs> let's get into some draft talk. Some NFL draft talk. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kidd of the Isaiah Kidd Podcast, the IKP, as I already mentioned. Thank you guys for tuning in. I want to um, welcome you guys. Very appreciative of you guys. Let's get into it. I know some people came here to, you know, they wanted me to do some more draft talk. Obviously, we're going to have to do more draft talk because there's been so many, there's been moves that, that's, that's that, there was a big move that was made. Um, between the Carolina Panthers and the Jets, you guys probably are already aware of it. Um, more moves are are they look more moves look like they can be made. Um, Atlanta and multiple teams are very interested in you know in trade talks. Atlanta possibly moving down from the number four spot. So this is going to make the draft really interesting. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Jets and Sam Darnold. The Jets, they trade, like I said, the Jets traded Sam Darnold for uh, basically three first round, three picks, not three first round picks, but three picks. Um, this, it was a second round pick for next year, the 2022 draft, um, and a fourth round pick and a sixth round pick for this year's draft. So basically, I'm looking at it, just judging um, Sam Darnold's worth. His value was 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 like a mid second rounder, a good to mid second rounder. That was Sam Donald's value. So that has me very curious and interested about Jimmy Garoppolo. But I'm gonna talk about that, and I'm gonna talk about the four. And speaking of Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm gonna talk about the 49ers and this Mac Jones hype train that the 49ers seem to be that they seem to be like the lead engine. Of this Mac Jones hype train, hype hype train, and I get it. Mac Jones, he had a great season in Alabama. He played phenomenal. He played well. He played his particular role well. Okay, Mac Jones, I said it. He played his particular role well. Now, as I already mentioned, from the looks of it, it looks like we're, we're gonna have four quarterbacks drafted. In the first four picks. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. We got Trevor Lawrence going to uh, Jacksonville. Uh, Zach Wilson seems like a virtual lock to go to the Jets now. Um, The 49ers, they say they're interested in Mac Jones. In my my personal opinion, I think it's a smokescreen. I think it's a big smokescreen. But... We'll see what they do at three, and whatever team makes a deal with the Atlanta Falcons to move up to the fourth spot, that that team will be drafting the fourth quarterback in the first round, or in the top four picks, I should say, because there's there's going to probably be five quarterbacks taken in the first round overall. But let's get into the let's 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 focus. Let's just put our focus towards the 49ers. Because I'm hearing reports, I'm hearing rumors. First, they love Mac Jones. The 49ers are strongly considering taking Mac Jones at the number three pick. Okay. Um, 
Kyle Shanahan is very interested and very intrigued, and he likes Mac Jones. The 49ers GM, John Lynch, he likes Justin Fields. Now, as I mentioned, this could be a very big smoke screen. This could be all smoke that the 49ers are blowing about Mac Jones. But let's play devil's advocate. Let's play with let's play the game. If the 49ers draft Mac Jones, I'm here to tell you the 49er fan base, the 49er faithful should be absolutely disappointed. And it's nothing against Mac Jones because like I, as I as I already mentioned, he had a he had a good he had a great year at Alabama. But Mac Jones has a low ceiling. And when you're looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're looking at the top five quarterbacks in this draft, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, Mac Jones, by far, in my opinion, has the lowest ceiling. And you think, just think, with, just think what the 49ers gave up. The 49ers gave up a boatload. They basically mortgage the future on whoever they draft at the number three pick. Because with the trade that the 49ers pulled off a couple weeks ago, they traded away future multiple future first round picks. So what they're leveraging is, what they're banking on, the 49ers are banking that they're going to be a pretty good team. They're going to be a really good team over the next couple years. That's what they're banking on. And if they stay healthy and depending on what they do at the at the quarterback position, they probably will be a, a, a good team because they have a really good roster. But imagine, just, just think about this for a second. Imagine saving your money for a Rolls Royce. Just think about that. Imagine saving your money for a Rolls Royce and you come back with a RAV4. Imagine. Imagine you save your money for a Rolls Royce and you come back with a RAV4. That's what the 49ers will be doing if they were to draft Mac Jones at number three. You're coming back with a RAV4. And I'm not saying Justin Fields and Trey Lance is going to be a Rolls Royce. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, hell, if the 49ers draft Justin Fields with his athleticism, with his talents, I, who knows what that can turn into. But to draft a guy like Mac Jones – who I think I think I think a good comparison, a good pro comp, professional comp for Mac Jones. Is, I think he's Kirk Cousins. I think he's Kirk Cousins. I think him and Kirk Cousins share a lot of the same qualities, this uh, a lot of the same abilities. Um, we know what Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback yet. He does put up good numbers. But we all know that Kirk Cousins is not an elite quarterback, and we all know that Kirk Cousins has a ceiling. And with a guy like Kirk Cousins being your quarterback, you're not going to experience tremendous success. You're just not. And, and that's the same thing that I'm seeing with Mac Jones. You're not going to experience tremendous success with Mac Jones being your quarterback, okay? That's just my take on it. I see with Mac Jones, I see Kirk Cousins. I see Kirk Cousins. And I was just thinking about it. And I and I've been, you know, looking at different stuff, 
Um, and I've been, you know, researching back on previous drafts. Oh, you can you can date this, you can date this back over the last 10 years. Over the last 10 to 15 years. There has not been you look at the you look at the quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first round. A lot of them have not panned out. And this goes back to my original point. We are possibly, we're possibly looking at four quarterbacks being taken in the first four picks and five quarterbacks being taken in the first round. I'm going to tell you guys something. There's only going to be two quarterbacks out of the five that are going to turn in that are going to pop and turn into franchise guys. There's only going to be two of them. If history serves me correct, which is which it most likely is because this is this is the NFL and we're not going to have five franchise quarterbacks in one draft. If we do, that is that will be phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, but I don't see it happening because it's never happened before. But two guys, two guys, uh, two quarterbacks out of this five are going to absolutely pop and be franchise guys. The other two are going to be okay. You know, they're going to be okay. Depending on what situation they're in, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. They're going to be just okay. Not elite. Not like, not like definite, um, definite franchise guys, but they're going to be okay. And then there's going to be one guy. That's just an absolute bust. If 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 draft history serves me correct, with the with the over the last ten to fifteen years with quarterbacks, two guys are gonna work out absolutely. Franchise guys, bona fide guys. The other two are gonna be uh, okay, a little shaky, but okay. And then there's gonna be one guy that's just not gonna pan out. And the, the and I'm and I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna give you some more gems. The two quarterbacks that I think are gonna work is Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence. You seen what Justin Herbert did? Justin Herbert had a phenomenal rookie year as a quarterback. He had you know if you look at his numbers statistically, he had the best rookie year of any quarterback in NFL history. If you look at his numbers, I think Trevor Lawrence is just as good, if not better. I think Trevor Lawrence is just as good, if not better. They, they I mean, they they share just similar measurables. Um, that like they have great talent and so forth. Trevor Lawrence, I think, is going to work. And the other, the second quarterback that I think is going to be a franchise guy that's going to pop. I'm really torn. I'm really torn between Justin Fields and Trey Lance because I'm looking at those two guys. I think if 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 the 49ers end up drafting Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I think whoever they draft, one of those guys will work. One of those guys will work if the 49ers draft him. I gotta see where this. I gotta I gotta see where these other guys go to. I got to see what system, what coach, what team, what's around them. I got to see what the environment is. Because I'm looking at Zach Wilson, he's going to the Jets. Good luck. I'm going to I'm going to get I'm going to get to them. Good luck. He's going to the Jets. 
pray for him. But Mac Jones, if the 49ers are serious about drafting Mac Jones, Mac Jones has a tremendously low ceiling. And he's Kirk Cousins. He's Kirk Cousins. And I know, and I and, and I just know this for a fact. Okay. And I like Kyle Shanahan. And this is another point that I want to attack. Because I like I like Kyle Shanahan. And I know coaches, especially football coaches, NFL coaches, I know they they are hell bent on their systems being the best system. Like, if you add Sean McVay, he thinks his system is the best. You ask Kyle Shanahan, he thinks his system is the best. You, if you ask Matt LaFleur, he thinks his system is, is, is the best thing since sliced bread. If you ask, if you ask Belichick, he'll probably think he'll think his system is the best. If you ask Andy Reid, and so forth. So every coach, they're hell-bent on their system. And people keep talking about, well, look what and and, and this I'm, I'm and I'm referring to Kyle Shanahan and his system, because people keep referring to you know keep dating back towards well look at what Kyle Shanahan did with Matt Ryan, look at what Kyle Shanahan did with uh, Garoppolo, look what Kyle Shanahan did with um, Matt Schaub. They keep pointing out all these um, examples. That yes, they 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 experienced some success, but think about the quarterbacks that won Super Bowls in the Kyle Shanahan system, quote unquote. The two quarterbacks that's won Super Bowls in the quote unquote Kyle Shanahan system was John Elway and Steve Young. Those are the guys. Those are the two guys that have won championships. In the Kyle Shanahan system. John Elway and Steve Young. You have two Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. Two Hall of Fame level talents. Oh, and what else? Both of them can move. They have the escapability. They have special, unique talents about themselves. Mac Jones doesn't possess that. He doesn't. And I'm looking at the quarterbacks over the last couple years. I'm looking at the Mahomes. I'm looking at I'm looking at the Josh Allens, the Justin Herberts, the Kyla Marys, the guys over the last couple of years that have worked over the last 10 years, Andrew Luck. I'm looking at Cam Newton. I'm looking at these guys and I just don't see it with Mac Jones. I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. He doesn't have a superpower. And when you're and when you're being drafted, when you're a first rounder, especially as a quarterback, and when you look at the 49ers particular situation, they moved all the way up. They moved all of these mountains to get to number three. If they draft Mac Jones, it's going to be tremendous pressure on Mac Jones, and and people are going to they're going to expect him to perform like a damn superhero. And I don't know if I don't think Mac Jones has the capabilities to do so. Now, if Mac now if Mac Jones gets drafted by the 49ers and the 49ers take him in, I'm not saying he's gonna be a bust because he have a really good supporting cast around him. He have Kyle Shannon, he have he have weapons on offense, his defense would be pretty solid. You know, if guys are healthy, 
he have a really good supporting cast around him. But as far as winning championships, it's not going to happen, I don't think. I don't, with his ceiling, I don't think it happens. I don't think it happens. With his ceiling, I don't see it happening with Mac Jones. Sorry. And some people may think that's harsh, but I see Kirk Cousins when I see Mac Jones. I see I see a I see a little bit of a bigger version of Mac of, of Kirk Cousins when I see Mac Jones. Simple as that. I see a bigger version of Mac jo- of Kirk Cousins in Mac Jones. That's all I see. That's all. And and like I said, I, I'm thinking about and I talked about Sean McVay and his aggressiveness. And I talked about Kyle Shanahan and how you know all of these, especially the young, like the young guru coaches, like the young up and coming coaches that seem to be really good, like the the, the McVays, the Sean McDermott's, um, uh, the Matt Lafleur's, the Kyle Shanahan's. They all believe in their system. They all are hell-bent on their system. And I just hope that Kyle Shanahan, I hope he doesn't have the mindset that he can raise Mac Jones' ceiling because of his system. Because if that's the case, it's not going to work out. That's not going to be the case. And I just think about it. Matt Lafleur, out of out of, and, and when you and and the reason why I keep bringing up Sean McVay, Matt Lafleur, and Kyle Shanahan, the reason why I keep bringing these three up in particular is because they they all were on the one coaching staff. They they all were they all were together at one point with the with the Washington Football Team was you know then the Washington Redskins, but now the Washington Football Team. They were all on one coaching staff, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, and Kyle Shanahan. And I know with Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur, out of all three of them at this point, have the best quarterback. He has Aaron Rodgers. Matt, uh, for years, Sean McVay had Jared Goff. Um, Kyle Shanahan had Jimmy Garoppolo. And when you think of what Aaron Rodgers can do, the escapability, the arm talent, the, just the this, just the craftiness to make plays when plays are not there to be made. The you know, Aaron Rodgers being able to execute off script plays. I know for a fact. I know that Sean McVay and Jimmy Garoppolo. I know they have. I mean, Sean McVay and and uh, Kyle Shanahan. Excuse me. I know that Kyle Shanahan and McVay, I know they both kind of look at LaFleur and they're like, I wish I had a quarterback that can do some of those same things. I wish I had a quarterback that can escape um, and, and, and make a broken play into something. Because if you look at, you know, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, they're good quarterbacks, but they're not Aaron Rodgers. They're not. They they can't escape. They can't escape pressure. They can't um, extend plays. They can't um, make. They can't make great play. They can't turn a broken play into a great play. With McVeigh, with often what McVeigh and Kyle Shanahan has to do, they have to. They have to call 
the perfect play every single time so the offense is executed flawlessly, effectively. Matt LaFleur doesn't have to do that. Matt LaFleur has he has he has room for error because he has Aaron Rodgers. McVay and Kyle Shanahan would love to have room for error, but they can't because of their quarterbacks capabilities and with a guy when you when you're drafting a guy like mac jones if the 49ers were to draft mac jones kyle shanahan is trapping himself once again with a quarterback who does not have the capabilities nor the uh, the attributes or anything to extend plays because that's because be honest that is what teams are looking for Teams are looking for Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, guys like Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, who can escape and make plays not only with their arm, but with their legs if they need to. And that's what I'm getting. Now, if the 49ers turn out, if if, if, if it turns out that this was all smoke and they end up drafting a guy like Justin Fields, okay. Forget forget this whole conversation. But the fact that the like you know these rumblings are out here about Mac Jones and just this steady Mac Jones train is just pulling. I just don't understand. I just don't understand it. I do not understand the Mac Jones hype. I don't. I don't. I see a bigger version of Kirk Cousins when I see Mac Jones. And I feel like if Kyle Shanahan, if the 49ers end up drafting Mac Jones, Kyle Shanahan is putting him he's putting himself in a very similar predicament that he was in with Jimmy Garoppolo. Not being able to, not having the capability or the ability to make plays and extend plays, even when plays may seem broken or disjointed. They don't have that ability. Why do you think Sean McVay? Went out and got and went out and traded for Matthew Stafford because Jared Goff was turning the ball over too much. He couldn't extend plays. Mobility wasn't there. And I know and Matthew Stafford, he's he's not like he's not mobile, but Matthew Stafford has tremendous arm talent and he's able to extend plays. Matthew Stafford, strong arm, strong cannon. He's able to push the ball down the field. That is why Sean McVay went out and made an upgrade. Now it's time for Kyle Shanahan to do the same. I'm sorry, but I had to get into that Mac Jones situation. But congratulations to the Baylor Bears men's basketball team. Also, congratulations to the Stafford Stafford's women's basketball team. Both teams won the national championship in the NCAA tournament. Women, uh, Stanford, the Stanford women's basketball team, they played a hell of a game. They had a hell of a tournament. They won their tournament in <clears throat> versus Arizona, a really good, uh, a, a nail-biting game. They came down to the last shot. And then with Baylor, uh, it was the complete opposite. The Baylor Bears completely dominated Gonzaga Every which way, every facet, every phase of the game, Baylor completely outmanned, too quick, outstrengthed, 
Gonzaga in every phase. And I really didn't. I, so <clears throat> Baylor, Baylor was obviously the better defensive team. With their ball pressure, they were obviously the better defensive team. But I honestly thought this was the year of Gonzaga getting over that hump and finally winning a national championship. I thought this was Mark's view. I thought this was his best opportunity and his best team to win a championship. Given the fact that there was no major blue bloods in the tournament, yeah, Kansas was in the tournament, but they got bounced thoroughly. Um, there were no real representation as far as blue bloods. I mean, if you consider UCLA of that ilk, I guess, but they kind of had like a Cinderella run and nobody expecting them to get to the final four. But as far as the Kentuckys, the Dukes, the North Carolina, North Carolina also made the tournament, but they were bounced early. And you think of those type of teams, uh, those powerhouse blue call, those blue bloods, none of Practically none of them, and if they none of them made the tournament, Kentucky or Duke, and if they did, they got bounced early, like Kansas and North Carolina. So this, like this whole, this was a perfect opportunity for a school like Baylor or Gonzaga, more you know, more so Gonzaga because they were the odds-on favorites. But you could tell Baylor was the better team. And if they were, if these two teams were to play in a seven-game series, Baylor would win, and like would, would Baylor would win the series because they're the better team. Bay, Bay, Baylor would win the series. They're they are they were just naturally the better team, and I just I knew defensively. I love how Baylor play. Um, I didn't now defensively. Their strength defensively is all is obviously out there on the perimeter. I thought with the with Drew Timmy, I thought Baylor and their interior defense was going to be the weakness that Gonzaga could exploit. No, I was absolutely wrong. I and I know I say, <laughs> I know I I know I say I'm right a lot, and I am. I'm I'm relatively right a lot. But this particular situation, I was wrong. <laughs> I was dead. I was dead wrong. Uh, Baylor Gonzaga was not the best team. Um, Baylor, Baylor, like I said, in a seven-game series, Baylor would win the series. Um, probably in like six games, but they would win the series. They had the better team. They were quicker. Um, they, they, they just disrupted uh, Gonzaga. And the thing is with Gonzaga, Gonzaga never. And I hate to be this guy, but the conference schedule, the strength of the conference, um, and and actually these two teams were supposed to meet in the regular season. So I and I just wonder. I sometimes wonder, even though Baylor is the better team, Baylor's the better team. They're like they're they're just naturally better than Gonzaga. But I wonder if those two teams, if these two teams would have played each other in the regular season and and Gonzaga would have lost like this, I wonder would have been a different outcome in the tournament. I just wonder about that. Um, but Baylor was certainly the better, the better team. 
But Gonzaga, they never played anybody this year that really got up got up tight on them. Um, I felt like I felt like Gonzaga's style of play. I watched them. I watched them throughout the tournament, and I watched them. I watched. I caught a couple of their games during throughout the regular season, and they were always Gonzaga was always offensively. They were always efficient offensively. Um, they got they got a lot of easy shots. It's a ball movement. It's motion. It's a lot of player cutting, player movement, and so forth. Baylor completely disrupted that, and I never saw, um, or consistently on a consistent basis like Baylor was doing it. Um, and and what Baylor found effective, I haven't seen a team pressure the ball, um, or pressure the backcourt of Gonzaga like Baylor did. I just didn't. I just didn't. And I think that led to some of the disruptions and uh, the turnovers, and then that led to the bad start. And they were all they were already – the game just tipped off. Gonzaga was already down by nine points. And it was just – it was just a, 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 just an avalanche from that start. From that point on, it was just an avalanche. So, I do think Baylor was the better team. Uh, I do think Gonzaga, this was their best chance to win it. I do wonder if these two teams would have played each other in the regular season as scheduled. I do wonder how would that affect uh, this outcome as far as the championship game, if they were to meet in the championship, obviously. I wonder how that would affect uh, Gonzaga more so. Baylor, Baylor was hit, and, and, and you got to think about it also. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make excuses for Gonzaga here. I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to build in excuses because they absolutely, absolutely, I thought this was their best chance to win it all, and they just did. They fell short once again. But I'm just looking. I'm like, hmm. Gonzaga, they gave, they 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 played a hard earned victory, um, or I, I should say they played a hard earned game versus UCLA, and they won. And so emotionally and physically, that probably drained the Gonzaga players. That probably drained that probably drained Gonzaga as a whole, and it just carried over to the national championship game. Versus Baylor, who is obviously um, heads and shoulders better than UCLA, and arguably one could make the argument, which I think they are, um, they're better than Gonzaga, and Gonzaga was not on their A game. If it was one night that they picked not to be on their A game, it would be the championship game. They were just not on their A game offensively, um, and I know this has been like a a knock, uh, like a trendy knock on Gonzaga, but it it, it remains true and relevant, and or I should say prevalent, because people often knock Gonzaga due to their lack of defensive intensity and how good of a defensive team are they really? Because offensively they got disrupted, you know, uh, turnovers. Uh, some of them, some of them were forced. Some of them weren't. 
like they some of them were just bonehead plays. But you think about that, okay. Gonzaga and, and, I, and I think I'm thinking like this. Gonzaga, they had one way to beat you. That one way to beat you was obviously outscore you, but they they scored at such a pace and such at a at such a pace and efficient mark or eclipse where team it was it was very hard for teams to keep up when you have a team like Baylor who shoots the three better than anybody else in the country and who's able to play defense unlike Gonzaga. That is the result you get. And Baylor players, I don't know if, just, but Baylor was just they were they were just stronger. It's like Baylor works. It's like Baylor works out with the football team, and Gonzaga just has just has rubber band players. <laughs> like it looked like Baylor was Baylor works out and they they lift with the football team, and Gonzaga looked like they just they're just rubber bands. <laughs> they're very flexible, but the strength, I mean, Baylor just out, out, just manhandled them. Physically, they just out manhandled them. So, I um, congratulate, like I said, congratulations to Baylor. Uh, well deserved. Uh, I, I like I said, I really thought this was Gonzaga's year. I would have been really happy to see Mark Few get his first championship. Um, that's really, that's literally the only thing he's missing. He's already, he has a hall of fame resume, but you know, if it was one thing that was missing, it's the national championship. And he still yet has had, he's still yet to win a national championship. Um, and here is Scott drew, uh, after the game and, you know, winning the national championship for Baylor. God has blessed us with unbelievable players, the people that have come for 18 years to put in work, our fans that have been with us for the lean years, the good years, and our administration, President Livingstone, Mac Rhodes, they all deserve this. The city of Waco deserves this. All right, Texas, we got a national championship too. The state deserves it. All year long, this is what they do. We have a starting rotation, and each night might be someone different, but they've sacrificed for each other all year long. And I've said this, if you're going to be in the bubble for three, four weeks, you better be with people you love. And spending time with these guys 20, 25, 30 years, our coaching staff will enjoy most spending time with them. They're unbelievable people, great basketball players, better people. <laughs> so you could tell from that that recording scott drew was excited and he's always pumped but he was very excited and he should be um because he he's been at baylor for such a long time and usually in the big 12 and he's had some really really good teams some really strong talented teams at baylor but for the obviously for the longest time when you think of the big 12 you think of the dominance of kansas and bill self but it's good to see Scott Drew win a national championship with Baylor. Um, not not really known, at, obviously, not really known as a basketball powerhouse as far as their men's um, their men's program. But it speaks more towards college basketball. And like, and I I, I pointed out a trend uh, as far as like I was I was basically saying, hey. I ra- I would rather have the best 
guard than the best big because with the, with having the best guard I have the I have a I have a guard that can control the game, control the tempo, control the pace, um, defensively and offensively on both sides of the floor. That's that's in 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 a tournament. You think about it. That is the type of player that you want. You want a guard that can control the pace and and tempo of the game. And Baylor had two guys. Jarrett Butler, who won Most Outstanding Player, and Davion Mitchell. Just saying, and they were great defensively. I th- I think I think their ball pressure and how great defensively, rotationally, as far as their rotations, it was just spotless. And you look at you look at the you look at the last few teams that won national championship. It was teams that were really good. Like, no, not really good. That were great defensively. You look at Villanova over the last couple, over the last several years. I think 2016, 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Can we look that up? Yes. 2016 and 2018, Villanova, both both of those teams were great defensively. You look at uh, Virginia back in 2019. Virginia, great defensive team under Tony Bennett. Great, and it remains true with Baylor. Brett Baylor, great defensive team. The ball pressure, Gonzaga couldn't handle it, and Gonzaga never. Gonzaga didn't haven't have haven't seen nobody with that type of ball pressure, um, and nobody has ever did that to Gonzaga this year, where they got under Gonzaga and they pressured them and forced them to make. Errant passes. That's what Baylor did, and that's how they won a national championship. They're the better team. And um, I'm thinking about Justin Fields, who I re- I really like Justin Fields. I really do. And I'm just trying to figure out what has like what has transpired because I could have sworn coming into the college football season, going into September, October, and so forth, because I know that I know the Big Ten last year. They got off to a late start. But the consensus was, okay, Trevor Lawrence is definitely the, the, the best quarterback in the draft. He's the number one prospect. He's number one. But a lot of people had fields like at number two and could could possibly overtake Trevor Lawrence. And yes, yes, Justin Fields, he had some he had some really um, he had some bad. He he had a couple a couple stinkers, some average, some subpar games versus Northwestern and Indiana. Those are the two games that people continue to point out. But what we don't point out is Trevor. I mean that Justin Fields had seventy eight total touchdowns at Ohio State. Um, uh, dominated the competition. Won a lot of games, obviously, but that's Ohio State, so that, that that doesn't really count for much. But won a lot of games, and I think most importantly, two times versus Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, Justin Fields arguably was the best quarterback on the field both times, arguably. So 
people keep mentioning the two games, Indiana and Northwestern, where he just he he was very average and subpar. But forget to mention the two games where he played he played head to head versus Trevor Lawrence in the college football playoff and for both definitely for the second matchup he outplayed Trevor Lawrence but for the you can make an argument the first matchup he outplayed Trevor Lawrence too so he he so he outplayed Trevor Lawrence two times and those two games don't matter and those two games people don't bring up but the two games versus the, the, the two games Indiana game and the Northwestern game people continuously scouts continuously bring those games up why? I don't know. And, and there was talks. I mean, Trev, Justin Fields went from the second quarterback being drafted to possibly the fifth quarterback being drafted. I just don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how this has happened. I don't know how this has happened with Justin Fields. I don't know why people are selling his stock. I feel like, like I said, I feel like if somebody's calling me. I feel like if the 49ers, and I don't know why people call them, I feel like if the 49ers were to get their hands on Justin Fields, he would work. He would be a smash. It would be something different that Kyle Shanahan hasn't had. And that's an actual quarterback that can move. Could you imagine with that offense and with, and with, Justin Fields' abilities. Could you imagine what that offense would look like? Instead, like I said, this could be all smoke about Mac Jones. But instead, the 49ers opt to take and draft Mac Jones, who can't move the pocket, who, who has average athleticism, average speed. He's He's very cut. He's very cut. He's a bigger version of Kirk Cousins. Why would they do that? Why? I just don't understand it. And I feel like with Justin Fields, I feel like the reason why, and it's such an odd reason, but the reason why his stock is dropping a bit and people are somewhat selling it is because he's been in the spotlight for so long. That's the same thing that happened with Trevor Lawrence last year. After after the LSU championship game, people were just nitpicking at everything Trevor Lawrence did. Just nitpicking, like uh, just nick trying to find any little thing. Just nitpicking. And the reason why we, I don't know why we do this, but the reason why, but I can I can kind of explain why certain people do it. And it's because, well, these two guys, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, have been in the spotlight for so long. Since they've been in high school, really, like they were highly covenant, highly recruited football quarterbacks, went to big time powers. Justin Fields went to he started out in Georgia. He transferred to Ohio State and they've just been in the public eye for so long. We just try to nitpick them at this point. We just try to nitpick everything they do. We try to nitpick everything they do. And I just don't understand it. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't understand it, though. Um, so let's shift gears to the Jets and Sam Donald and the Carolina Panthers. And these topics go hand in hand because it seems to me 
that and as I mentioned, the Panthers were very aggressive. Um, they were in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. We all know what has happened and what has transpired. Um, and a lot it's just a lot of unknown. So they kind of lost a little hope in that. Um they're realizing that they they realized that they had to move up for a quarterback. They didn't want to move up for a quarterback. Um, so they they went up and traded for Sam Darnold. Now I've been hearing I, I I've been hearing mixed reactions and so forth. Now I'm gonna tell you guys, um, I'm pretty unlike unlike a lot of people. I'm 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 pretty high on Sam Donald, and it's not that because I, it's not I I don't think Sam Donald is I don't think he's gonna be an elite quarterback. I don't think he's gonna be a top five. I'm not no I'm not saying that, but Sam Donald in with the Jets. He was never giving. He was never given a fair chance. Like, think about it. He was Sam Darnold in his three years with the New York Jets. He was never given a fair chance. A fair chance. He was the, the the cards that were dealt. He had a very bad hand. He had he had the worst hand in the league, probably. Just think about this. First of all. Sam Donald's coach was Adam Gase. Adam Gase. That was Sam Donald's coach. Adam Gase. Also, in his with Sam Donald's three years with the Jets, he never had an offensive player that made the Pro Bowl. So you're talking about a very weak offensive supporting cast his record with the jets was 13 and 25 okay it's 12 games below 500 but do you know the jets record without sam donald over the last three years oh yeah oh and 10 oh and 10 they can't win a game without sam donald so yeah he's he's 12 games under 500 but they can't win a game without sam donald they don't know what it feels like to win a football game without Sam Donald in the last three years. If he doesn't suit up, they don't win at all. So well, my, my point is, and I think it's it's clearly obvious, Sam Donald was never dealt a, a fair hand. Also, the weapons that he did have at one point at one point in time, Robbie Anderson, the Jets let him walk. He goes to Carolina and has another good year in Carolina this past season. Oh yeah, Sam Donald got traded. He got traded to Carolina, so now he's reunited with um the kid I just mentioned. So I'm not, I, and and I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying this is going to be a Ryan Tannehill type of story. I'm not saying uh, Sam Donald is going to be a world beater, but. I do think this is a fair chance. I do think this is Sam Donald getting a fair hand because the hand that he was dealt was just awful. <laughs> Needless to say, it was awful. Needless to say, it was awful. And this feels like him going to Carolina, Robbie Anderson, you got DJ Moore, you got Matt Rule, who I, I like as a coach. He's a really good culture um, culture developer. Uh, you got obviously you got Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I mean, just uh, all one of the best playmakers in football. 
So you got weapons around you. So we'll be able to see a little bit what Sam Donald can do now. Because he's actually given a fair chance. A given, he's given a fair shot. Not the Jets. And that's why I kind of feel for Zach Wilson because I just pray. But uh, Sam Donald, you look at the situation in New York, never given a fair hand. Never. And while looking at the other side of the spectrum as far as uh, or the other variables within this trade, you often you, you obviously you think about Teddy Bridgewater in his situation. Um, and now you're thinking about the Jets and let's say in the Jets is easier. The Jets is easy. It's easy peasy um, with them trading Sam Darnold. They're obviously taking a quarterback at number two, and that quarterback is probably going to be Zach Wilson. They've been, they've been. Uh, I mean, I've just reports about Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson. So, uh, I think Zach Wilson is a virtual lock um, at number two, and I think I, I've said that already. Um, in, in, in you know earlier in this episode, I talked about how I, th- I you know, Zach Wilson is a virtual lock for the Jets. Now, Teddy Bridgewater. This leaves him with um so there's been reports that you know Teddy that they're gonna move off of Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, when you make a move like this for another quarterback, um of you know, Sam Donald, he's younger. Uh and, and uh, some people still think he can really show that he can still play and be a quality starter. Um and now we're looking at Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot. I really do. He had he, he earlier in his career, he experienced and he won a lot of games in Minnesota. Um, but he had the devastating knee injury last year. He stepped in and filled in for oh well, the year before last, he stepped in for Drew Brees and played really well um, with New Orleans. That led to him getting a deal with Carolina. And 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 the big thing with Teddy Bridgewater is. He's a he's a he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's just that he's a low end starter. Like Teddy Bridgewater is a guy who he he's not going to make a lot of mistakes, but he does not rate he doesn't he doesn't take your offense to another level. Uh, he does like he like he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's very much a game manager. And a low-end starter. He's not a high-end premium starting quarterback. He is a he's often looked at, and I thought in Carolina, this was his role. Um, he was a placeholder. He was a placeholder for Carolina until they found a quarterback that they liked more than him. Until they found a quarterback that they liked more than him, he was gonna be he was just he was just a placeholder. And it, it has me thinking about well, what other destinations uh, are available for Teddy Bridgewater? And I'm just looking. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to gather through. I mean, maybe Washington, uh, Brid, and, and like I said, Teddy Bridgewater. And and I saw a report also. I saw another report alluding to Teddy Bridgewater. The Carolina Panthers are gonna they're gonna let Teddy Bridgewater decide what he wants to do, like as far as what destination he wants to get traded to. So that's 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 good to know. 
Um, but as far as him being a a starter in most teams, I do think that's a bit. Mm, it's a bit. It's a bit shaky. It's a bit shaky. Uh, and there's and, and once the draft is over, and once team draft their guys at the quarterback position, I do feel like there's not there's not going to be a lot of starting jobs open. There's not. There's not going to be a lot of starting quarterback jobs open. You have uh, Jacksonville's going to have their quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. The Jets. Uh, I we assume the 49ers, Whoever trades up and moves up to four. Whoever the whoever the 49ers draft, um, or whoever the 49ers draft at three, and whoever and whoever trades with Atlanta to move up to four, those that would be four teams that last year quarterback situations were questionable, and now they're soft. So it, it's going to be interesting. And speaking of this number four spot, as I and like and like I said, I've alluded to this earlier in the pod. But I do want to touch on this. Um, I, I do want to give some team, throw some teams out there that should be looking to move up to that four spot. Now, first of all, I must say, I was right. Um, this whole time, throughout this whole entire draft process, I've, I've seen mock drafts um, from Mel Kuyper and, and, and uh, Todd McShay. And every time, or most times, I, I would I should say, most times their mock draft displayed Atlanta taking a quarterback. And I didn't think Atlanta was taking a quarterback. I did not buy that. Atlanta, Matt Ryan is not the Falcons' problem. He's not the Falcons' problem. He was literally the reason why they won more games than they should have. So Matt Ryan is still a really, he's still a good starter. He's not elite, but he's still a good starter. And if Atlanta is able to build a team with him, you can do a little something. But obviously, as I was, I was proven correctly. Atlanta is very well. Atlanta has caught teams' interest, and Atlanta would be open. They would be more than open to moving down in the draft, as I suspected. So. This means Atlanta is going to acquire a couple more draft picks and also move down the first round. But also, a team, this 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 now gives me some type of feeling, a team like the Denver Broncos, a team probably like the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, or even a team like the Washington football team. Those are teams that I'm looking at as far as Who's going to move up to that number four spot? Now, the, the the Atlanta Falcons report, it said multiple teams. So we don't know who those teams are. But I can only assume that the Denver Broncos are probably one of those teams trying to move up for a quarterback because I don't think they're rolling with Drew Locke again. Uh, the proof is in the – I feel like the proof is in the pudding. So I, 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 I just don't see the Drew Locke thing going any further. Uh, I'm thinking of Pittsburgh, possibly Pittsburgh could be one of those teams that's interested because we all know about their quarterback situation and, 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 and Ben Roethlisberger. And I don't really think then I don't really think the Wayne Haskins is, a is the guy of the future. I could be wrong. Pittsburgh and, and Pittsburgh, they may not be interested, but I'm also, I'm also thinking of the Washington football team moving up to number four. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, he he 
I, I just can't remember the last time he played a full season. So I, I, I just can't. That's a lot. That's a, that's a question. He's a question mark. So it wouldn't behoove me if the Washington football team tried to move up and draft the quarterback. Um, I'm, it's come to, it's it's now coming to my remembrance, and you know, think just think sitting here thinking about it. Um, a team like the Chicago Bears, I know. I mean, Andy Dalton, I, that that signing of Andy Dalton felt more um, like a like an anxiety signing, like they just had to do something. Uh, it was a nervous signing, but Andy Dalton is not going to be the Chicago Bears. He's not the future of the Chicago Bears. He's not going to be the guy that turns around the Chicago Bears franchise. So when I'm thinking of teams that should be interested in moving up to number four and trading with Atlanta, those are the teams that I think of. Denver, uh, Pittsburgh maybe, uh, Washington football team, maybe maybe even New England. Um, and, 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 and the team I just named, what, what was the team I just named? Oh, my gosh, it's slipping my mind. Uh but yeah, those are the teams. You guys know the teams I just named. <laughs> uh, it's 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 slipping my mind. But those are the teams I just named, and those teams should definitely be trying to move up at number four to have a quarterback taken. And this is going to be so. This is going to be such a a really um historic draft because we're going to have possibly, most likely, four teams taking four quarterbacks in the first four picks. In the first four picks, they're going to be quarterbacks taken. That's amazing. Um, also, looking at this draft, in the first, in the top ten, there's going to be nothing but offensive players drafted in the top ten. The only defensive players that may get drafted in the top ten is Micah Parsons and Patrick Sertan. Those are the only defensive players that may get drafted. But everything else. It's going to be quarterback, receiver, or offensive line. Quarterback, receiver, or offensive line. And like the first, the first fifteen picks, quarterback, receiver, or offensive line. I really believe that. But I'm gonna let you guys go. Uh, this has been a great episode. I, I I talked a lot of and I talked a lot of college football and NFL draft talk. Uh, obviously Gonzaga and Baylor. Once again, con- congratulations to Baylor men's basketball program and Stafford's and the Stafford's women basketball program for winning national championships. Um, we had a really good tournament. Both tournaments were exciting um, and, you know, had some really good games and some classics really. Um, so without further ado, I'm gonna let you guys go. Um, like I said, I'll be back on Saturday. We're going to, you know, whip pop. We have more NBA talk, I guess, um, as the season winds down and we're getting closer and closer to playoff and into the playoffs and so forth. Uh, I am going to have some more special. I'm going to have some more guests come on. Uh, but without, like I said, um, always remember two choices, one, one decision, peace, deuces. I'm out. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I appreciate it for coming back. Continue to come back and support me means a lot. Thank you. (laughs) 